Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. I'm so excited to share with you our new Five Grin and Seed Oatmeal Multipack. We just launched two incredibly delicious varieties, Classic Cinnamon and Banana Nut. Our new oatmeals are unlike anything on the market, intentionally crafted with a plant-based protein blend of pea and chickpeas, sweetened with coconut sugar, plus superfood ingredients like chia and flax, perfect to fuel your busy day. These single-serve packets are total game-changers with irresistible taste and texture that's ready in literally a minute and perfectly suited for our new lifestyles back on the go or those days that we're still at home and you want an elevated, quick breakfast. So we have an exclusive deal for our Live Purely listeners on our new oatmeal multi-packs. Use code LIVEPURELY, that's L-I-V-E-P-U-R-E-L-Y, for 20% off all online orders now through July 31st on purelyelizabeth.com. Happy shopping! Today's guest is my dear friend, Christy Lewis, founder and CEO of Quinn, a natural food company on a mission to revolutionize food. It all started with reimagining microwave popcorn by removing the chemicals and plastics and using only real ingredients that they could trace back to the source. Today, Quinn not only makes incredibly delicious popcorn, but also the most delicious gluten-free pretzels and nuggets. Christy is also the host of the Be Better, Do Better podcast, where she shares her passion for changing the food system. In today's episode, Christy shares her passion for challenging the status quo, her mission for changing the agriculture system to a regenerative one, step-by-step, it's progress, not perfection, and her original vision for transparency, the most powerful force for good in food. We talk about the shift she's made over the last few years, embarking on a spiritual journey to grow personally, which she realized was fundamental in order to grow the business. In this process, she learned to surrender, let go, and just say no. Keep listening to hear all things about Christy and Quinn. Christy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I am so excited to have you on. This is so much fun to be chatting with a friend. And also, honestly, hear some of your backstory, because while we've known each other for so many years, I feel like there's definitely parts of the story that I don't know. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. This is such a fun Friday to stop working and to <laughs> just talk, which is so rare for us. Totally. So th- thanks. So at Purely Elizabeth, our mission is to help you thrive on your wellness journey. And as we think about that journey for you, I would love to start at the beginning and really, you know, why did you want to reimagine popcorn and where did this idea for Quinn start? Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. We have known each other for a long time and I feel like we haven't like ever spoken about the nitty gritty, like when and where and how, um, But I was living in New York City, actually, and um, going to the Union Square Farmer Markets and in my early 20s and loving just this connection to your growers, right? And then I was living, we had moved. So Coulter, my husband, got a job. I was still in school and we moved to West Palm Beach, Florida, and I hated my job. I hated it. It was- What were you doing? 
It was um, at a magazine, Palm Beach Illustrated, actually, which is so not me. <laughs> so, and so I was there and I forget like what my job role was or title, but I would come home like like in tears crying. And my vice was watching movies and eating microwave popcorn. But I hated the microwave popcorn that I was eating. And so it's interesting because you know, growing up in the eighties, that's kind of like all you did, like at, you know, sleepovers is that you go to a sleepover. We didn't have a microwave, but I'd go to my best friend's house and we would watch movies and eat microwave popcorn. And so there's like this comforting, nostalgic aspect of microwave popcorn. But the, the disconnect there was really around, you know, these farmer markets and understanding where your food is coming from. And then when you're walking into like a Publix down in Florida and you're buying this popcorn, in a box with natural and artificial flavors, I couldn't seem to shake that. It it like really pissed me off. So I started experimenting and this was before, I mean, this is back in, when was this? 2020? Yeah. Like when did Quinn, what year did Quinn launch? We launched in 2010, the back half of 2010. And this idea kind of came in 2002, really. So I had been kind of thinking about, cleaning up microwave popcorn for so long. Right. But anyway, I started experimenting in Florida and, you know, grated Parmesan cheese and your typical, like, you know, in, in-house experimentation, we put the popcorn kernels in the paper bag and you could staple it and throw it into the microwave, which is not really recommended the stapling. Piece, I was but... just going to say that sounds like that <laughs> shouldn't work. <laughs> no, it totally shouldn't, but it does. So I felt like, okay, if I could do this, then the entire market should be able to do it. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, I keep thinking that someone is going to come into the space with like a cleaner, healthier, safer alternative, Paul Newman's, you know, Orville Redenbacher, and no one ever did. And so when I was pregnant with Quinn, all I wanted to do was eat popcorn. And so we had kind of started experimenting again. And then I became sick with him. Um, I had to go home, like when I was pregnant with him, I had to go home and stayed at my mom's house for, I think it was like, I can't remember. It seemed like forever, but I think it was maybe like four or five weeks. And all I did was watch the Food Network and just like lay in bed and I couldn't eat anything. How were you sick? What was wrong? I couldn't keep any food down. So I had it with all three of my boys, but I had to go to, you know, hospitals and get IVs and I had like, major medicine where it just kind of like forces your food to stay in you. Cause either it would just come up. So I had to take time off work. I was working at harmonics music systems who make rock band and that was really fun. But so I had to take kind of a, a leave of absence. And then when I became, you know, I started feeling better, I realized, okay, I love food so much that I'm either going to go into, you know, culinary school or kind of go in that direction or I'm going to go and start this microwave popcorn company. And that's kind of what I chose. (laughs) So here I am 11 years later, almost 11 years later, but it's crazy because I I feel like, yes, this kind of started in 2010, but I had been obsessing over this idea and food in general since, you know, I was 22 years old. So it kind of started that, that way. So it really was a a journey for you from, for many, many, many years. And So when you were, I guess, before being pregnant, were there times over those years that you were like, should this be a business? Should this not be? Or it was really just kind of a back of your mind concept? 
Absolutely. So my husband and I, and, and you know, Coulter, we are very much like all we do is talk about ideas. So like, that's all, that's essentially <laughs> all we ever do. Um, and so, you know, we'd have so many concepts and ideas that we kind of be like, oh, it'd be so cool if we did this or this or this. And this was one that never left. You know, I remember living in our tiny, tiny Boston apartment before kids, our kitchen, I swear, was like the size of my table <clears throat> that I'm at right now. And we had my mom drive up the microwave. It like literally didn't even fit in our kitchen, <laughs> but we oh my had God. my mom drive up my microwave from Florida. And then we started experimenting. So yeah, it would kind of come up and then we get so busy with work or, you know, life that we never felt like it was the right time. But when you're stuck in bed, watching the Food Network, wanting to do something, and you have this drive and this passion, and then when you have three months of maternity leave, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the time. Like, when else am I going to be able to do this? So that's kind of how it started. Well, I can't believe I didn't know so many details of that, of the early years of it. I know, so sorry, that was pretty detailed. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I want to hear more. So, okay, so you're laying in bed and and then what? Like, what was the moment that you really said and what were the first things that you did in order to move forward? We had started experimenting just, you know, I want to say a couple of weeks before Quinn was born because, you know, I'm still feeling sick and I'm at this point back at work. So we're, we're experimenting on the weekends and I can't sew for the love of God. So Coulter, who's an engineer, we bought, you know, paper essentially. And he, he started sewing these bags and then we'd fill the bags with popcorn and put it in the microwave and start testing. Is this going to work? Is this going to expand? Is it going to be too brittle? Will it break? So we started doing that. We started testing with, you know, certain flavor profiles, and then really three days after Quinn was born, I mean, I was on the phone just trying to make it happen. Like I was like, okay, we need paper. We couldn't find paper in the U.S. that kind of agreed with the standards that I wanted because we wanted to remove all the chemicals and the plastic coatings. We wanted to be biodegradable. So we ultimately used a paper supplier in the, in, in the EU. And that was really challenging because I remember I called and we couldn't communicate because I can't speak German and he couldn't speak English. So we ultimately found a distributor in the, in the U S actually in Connecticut where I'm from, which is so random. And then he helped us kind of secure the paper and then get this paper in so we could test it in a co-manufacturing facility so they could run on the line and make bags to see if it worked and it worked. So we kept thinking, and I'm sure this is about your business too. When you start, you're like, okay, well, you know, if if we can't knock down this certain issue or a door closes, like we'll try and open another one. But at some point you have to be realistic of, you know, I was again on three months of maternity leave. I called my boss and said, you know, this is what I was doing. I may or may not come back. And he was totally supportive. And I kept thinking, okay, well, at some point, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to go back to work, which I loved. I loved my job, but you just kind of keep going right? Like if you have an obstacle, you kind of jump over it or you go a different totally. direction. We solve for it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of really what happened. But I mean, I knew nothing. I mean, nothing about this industry, didn't know sourcing, didn't know anything. Okay. So now you have the bag and maybe this is a good time just to talk a little bit about how important ingredients, you know, from day one in, ingredients and packaging and really like what your approach was from the beginning to today. Mm -hmm. For sure. So popcorn, I think was a big thing for me. And, and, 
you know, sourcing's and ingredients are critical. I mean, you clearly know this as well, right? But I think my biggest disconnect was when I was trying to just buy a couple pounds of popcorn when I was like Google searching it. I couldn't find any popcorn suppliers that I knew exactly where that they were coming from, how it was grown, where it was grown. And it really pissed me off because I felt like, okay, as the manufacturer of this product that we were working on, if I don't know where it's coming from, like how do I feel good about selling it to the consumer, right? Yeah. And as a consumer, I want to know where my food is grown. That was a, a huge disconnect for me. And then a lot, a lot of calls around the country, we finally landed at Grain Place. And um, I spoke to Dave Vetter and he was kind of taking this crazy different approach of he's organic, but he's also using regenerative ag practices, which at the time, no one knew really what that, what that was. Were they even calling it that in 2010? I don't even think they were calling that. Um, it's all about, you know, improving the health and the, the soil and creating like biodiversity and life really essentially <laughs> he he and his father don had been doing that for decades and that was i swear was like this turning point for me of wow like we can be doing all of this differently and it and it goes way beyond organic and what does that look like but that was the the conversation i remember having it because quinn was 6 months at the time and he was screaming bloody murder he never he would never sleep and he still doesn't sleep in his crib during nap time and i was downstairs talking with dave and i needed to talk to dave so i kind of ignored quinn it's like pseudo sleep training but i like couldn't sleep train for the love so so he just cried it out for like an hour and I felt so bad, but Dave was so knowledgeable and he kept just kind of going on these tangents around, you know, popcorn and growing and the beliefs and we totally hit it off and we still work with him today. But he he put my brain kind of in a different mindset of, okay, we need to know where our food is coming from, but then we also need to know like, wow, how is this being grown? What is this doing to our land? How is this impacting, you know, the product? And that's when we pretty much launched our farm to bag transparency policy. Can you share what that is? Yeah. So our farm to bag transparency policy was pretty much born out of the need to want to know where your food is coming from. But then also me as a consumer, I felt like it was absolutely fundamental that everyone knows about this because when you know, you ask questions and then things start to change for the better. Right. So, so Dave kind of really got me thinking in that way. And we're not perfect. Like the idea of you go to our website is everything we know we will list. So if we're using kind of a third party for an ingredient because we can't, you know, get it directly, we will put it on there. But it was a way to kind of challenge ourselves to dig deeper and not just be satisfied with an ingredient just because we need, you know, for example, like sorghum. Um, it wasn't like, just go find sorghum flour. It was like, no, we actually need to know all these components and why we're looking for this exact sorghum, which makes it very difficult over on my end. But that was, you know, the idea. And then over time that evolved into, you know, our be better, do better initiatives, which was kind of stemming from farm to bag policy of transparency, which was transparency back in, you know, this in 2010, 2011, like didn't exist. Yeah, um, absolutely. Not at all. I mean, you were really, I feel like so ahead of the time and it was incredible what you came out with then. 
it, I it mean, was, and still today, but at the yeah. time it was like revolutionary. Yeah. No, no one understood. And I remember we were at Expo West, like our first expo and we had like the farm to bag kind of sign and, and folks from General Mills and Plum Organics and like their whole sourcing teams would come up and be like, how are you doing this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, well, you know, it's not perfect. Like we're doing the best we can, but you also kind of need to start that way. It's really hard to do it when you don't start, especially, I mean, Plum and these big conglomerates, like when you have your supply chains already lined up, it's hard to kind of go backwards, but it was really exciting because I felt like, you know, for, for me and Quinn, it was always to challenge the status quo and to show everyone what could be done. Like we can do this. We just kind of need to think differently. So that was really exciting for me when folks started to, you know, it resonated. And then ultimately, you know, our industry a decade later is all about transparency. I mean, that's kind of like what we're focused on. So it's really exciting. And then going into the Be Better, Do Better initiative, it really stemmed from the transparency part. I felt like, okay, well, we're not done with just being transparent. Like we need to be a force for good. And how are we going to do that? And that, you know, really originated with our earlier conversations with, with Dave Vetter on what he was doing on his land. And then when you look at it, you know, holistically, it's like, okay, well, ag in general in our food industry, less than 1% of ag is organic. And then you have 99% of ag farmed conventionally. And what does that conventional mean? Like there's so many different ways you could look at conventional growing and farming. Like I'm kind of a back to basics type of person where I really want to focus on the farmers who think differently and bigger, but maybe they're not 100% committed to organic, but they're committed to reducing their herbicides and pesticides, or they're committed to, you know, implementing crop rotation or whatever that looks like. So that's something that we've been focused on. And then we really leaned into it in 2020 to kind of dig deeper there with our be better, do better initiative. It's like meet the girl where they're at and then push to transform that sector of ag. I just love this approach that you have. And I think, you know, we just talked about it over dinner the other night, but it was truly inspiring for me because, you know, at Purely Elizabeth, we're trying to look at, hey, how can we do better and get into regenerative ag? And it seemed like so daunting of how you change a supply chain and how are there enough, you know, pounds of ingredients for us to do that. But your approach is progress, not perfection. And you have to start somewhere which I think is really, you know, at the crux of how things change. Exactly. And that's, I think that's 100%, like the biggest hurdle is when everyone thinks they have to do everything perfect all at once. Like then you never get anything done. Which Um, is true for everything in life. For sure. 100%. You know, I'm clearly not perfect. So I don't want to challenge, you know, we have to be perfect and perfect, perfect. But the the problem is, is if you don't challenge yourself, then you're really never going to move forward. So, you know, we pick like five ingredients and we focus on that. And then once we transition that over to a, you know, sustainable supply chain, then, then we focus on another five and another five. And then we also clearly I've, I've really struggled to do anything with this for the last 
six months because it's been so busy, but you know, the band of brands initiative was to band together brands who want to take action. They just don't know where to start. So we're essentially coming together to learn and help each other. So for example, sunflower oil, we're trying to convince a bunch of our growers to convert from conventional farming to conventional regenerative, which essentially is conventional, but getting rid of, you know, the pesticides and the herbicides and going as far to, you know, the way that mother nature intended us to grow. But we are trying to band together with other companies who are trying to do that same thing. So essentially we'll have greater impact, right. Over time, if we all come together for the common good. And that's really what we're, what we're trying to do, but it is, it's pick one ingredient this year, two ingredients next year. Like everything matters. It doesn't have to be all at once. If it's all at once, then you're going to run run off a cliff because sure. you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> so just to touch on for any listeners who don't really know what regenerative ag is, can you just talk a little bit about what that is and some yeah, detail? For sure. So it's it's essentially restoring the soil, right? And so there's there's conventional ag and then there's organic agriculture. I mean, if you, if you think of it pretty basic, right. Yeah. Um, regenerative is exactly what it means. I mean, you're implementing cover crops and crop rotation and Steve Tucker actually says it kind of, I love the way that he said it. I'm going to try and like dig it out of my brain so I can articulate it well, but he's like, you know, mother nature didn't intend the land to be barren and with tillage and if you're not implementing crop rotation, so there's not, you know, nothing's being planted on that soil every single season, then the soil's barren. And so there's no life, right? And so you're trying to create life. Like you want to dig up a piece of dirt with worms crawling out of it, right? I mean, that's kind of the type of, of soil that you're trying to, to get. And so it's essentially, it's introducing livestock. It's less or minimal tillage, pretty much like no tillage, crop rotation. So it's like five, I, mean, I think Dave Vetter has, I want to say six or seven crop rotations, but you're rotating crops. So it's like, you know, corn one year, soy the next, legumes the next. Well, actually legumes are cover crops, but it's, it's a process of way where you're regenerating the land and the life. And you're creating this like magical kind of biodiverse area. If you walk on Dave Vetter's land, it's seriously like out of a movie. It's amazing. I mean, there's, there's just like, where's his farm. It's in Nebraska. We should go. That's a really fun road trip. (laughs) That's like perfect road trip from Colorado. Um, If you kind of walk like, you know, 10 feet in his other direction, his neighbors are not doing any of that. And so it's just dirt, 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 wow. and dirt. Um, that must be so crazy to see the two right up next to each other. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Cause you have, you have birds and butterflies and crickets and worms and beautiful, just life. And there's no life on this farm. So it's just, it's a way, it's a lifestyle. And it's a way that, you know, we all need to start thinking about as we protect this planet for future generations to come. And we're just take, 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 we're not giving back. Dave really kind of exposed me to that. And he's an icon in the industry and you should totally have him on the podcast, but (laughs) 
it is really fascinating. And then also, I mean, Mad Ag in Boulder, you should also talk to because they will give a way better explanation on regenerative ag than I just did. He would be listening and like, mm, are you really like, are you leaning into you all the You did a great points? job. <laughs> like, <clears throat> this is definitely not my forte, but um, I'm learning about it and it's really fascinating. So that's kind of what we're focused on at, at Quinn. Well, I so admire everything that you're doing about that. And it's super inspiring for us as a company to be following what you guys are doing. Thank you. So going back to kind of a little bit of the beginning, what was the moment or moments of time where, I mean, certainly sounds like being at Expo and getting some validation from big companies like that validation of, Hey, we're on the right track here, but was there a specific time or retailer when you were like, we have now made it like we got into whole foods and now we made it. What was that? I still don't think you've made it, (laughs) but, um, with microwave popcorn, that was, has been challenging because, you know, we launched into whole foods. That was our strategy. And we didn't know how long did it take to get into whole foods after starting in 2010. Yeah. Well, actually this is a funny story. So Coulter came from IDEO. And so he kind of had this playbook of launching products and innovation. And so he made me pitch cards and we never, we didn't even have a product. We didn't even have samples, but I walked into the the market. It was Fresh Pond and we were looking for the local forager. Remember those at Whole Foods that they don't have anymore? Such a bummer. We, um, We tracked down the local forager and I gave her these pitch cards. And I remember we sat at the front of the store, Quinn was sleeping in the the carriage and we went over this concept of if we had, you know, this, this offering, which was organic popcorn, real ingredients, real butter, real, well, actually we didn't have butter at that time, but it was Parmesan and rosemary and lemon. Lesser evil just launched a lemon popcorn. No way. <laughs> I was call Charles and be like, Hmm, I came up with this 10 years ago and it failed, but it was microwave popcorn, but it's fantastic. By the way, we launched those flavors and then really it was pre-selling them on this idea. So then we had the product, we came back in and they put us into like three stores. And as you remember, you demo demo, 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 like eight hours every a day when they would week. allow you to do it. Yeah. So Coulter and I would switch off every weekend and we go in for four hours and then I would leave with Quinn and then, then, um, he would come in for four hours. And so we would just demo the crap out of this, this popcorn. And I remember, I think we sold CV sold like 84 boxes in, um, I forget where it was. It was, that's an impressive demo. It was crazy. I know it was totally crazy, but what was fun is like, you know, this back in 2011 and you're popping. And so the whole store smells like popcorn. And so then you're, you know, educating consumers, the natural consumer of, you know, this is not your typical microwave popcorn. We use compostable paper for the bag. It's stripped of all the chemicals and the susceptor and it's real ingredients. But I think that was the challenging piece was at the time we didn't have any data, but the microwave popcorn category is tiny, tiny, tiny and natural. And so we focused on that for like three years. So it was really hard to grow when it's so small, but we were doing really well with Whole Foods. And um, I remember this because I was sitting at my little kitchen table and I was looking at emails and the Northeast buyer sent over like a $30,000. Rachel? No, sorry. North Atlantic buyer, Roger. Okay. (laughs) And so- they sent over this $30,000 PO and we had no more money left, like zero. We were out. It was, we couldn't actually make this product. And so I wrote him back and said, Hey, I'm really sorry, but 
we actually can't fulfill this PO right now. We were like in the middle of raising some money from family and friends and they gave us the local loan so we could actually make the product. And then they put us into the region. So it was like, it was very, that's incredible. It was crazy. It was a really fun time. Fast forward. I think when we launched the pretzels, like the peanut butter nuggets, I felt like maybe that's like a, well, that saved the company. So that was definitely like a, okay, we made, we're still here. (laughs) It's doing really well. Um, But that was one of those times where the Walmart buyer LinkedIn friend me before Expo West and said that she heard about this peanut butter nugget thing. She really wants to talk to me. So I was like, oh my God, like when do buyers like reach out to you? Never. Never. Yeah. So that was my, my maybe made, made it feeling. (laughs) That's so funny though, because honestly, I've never been contacted by a buyer either, except once, which was from a Walmart buyer. No way. (laughs) She called our office and somebody answered the phone and they came into my office and Julie was like, do you want to talk to the Walmart buyers on the phone? You're like, yes, I want to yes, talk to the Walmart. And thank you so much for actually answering the phone today. Because right. <laughs> anyway, that's like the other thing. That's amazing. That's um, so funny. So they reach out to you. Yeah. yeah so I guess cool. if anyone's listening who has a product, be be on the lookout for <laughs> hoping for a Walmart buyer to reach answer out. the phone when it rings. <laughs> it may or may not be the Walmart buyer. Um, that's really funny. But yeah, so that's kind of that moment of when we felt like, wow, we're we're hopefully, you know, in the right direction. I guess. Sure. And did you, was your vision at the beginning of Quinn to expand into the salty snacks or was it solely popcorn focused at the beginning? Like your long-term yeah. vision for the company? I think in the beginning, I was so focused on challenging the conventional brands of how we can do it differently and better. So I was really focused on microwave popcorn. I remember when we launched, we had an article come out when we were doing Kickstarter in the New York times and we didn't have a website up and running. Like we pretty much had nothing. And I called um, Richard from Abe's market. Do you remember? Yes. I called them and I was like, Oh my gosh, can you please launch Quinn? We have a, the New York times is like writing an article and we're in it and no one can buy our product anywhere. So can you please launch it? And I think that ConAgra actually ordered a six pack from that site. Oh my God. And I just kept it under my desk for like six months. Everyone was like, Christy, you have to send it. They paid for it. I was like, <laughs> I'm not sending That's it hilarious. to them. It was like six ConAgra away, like R and D department. I'm like, no. And I think I actually sent it and I wrote them a letter of like, this is my baby. This is named after my firstborn son. Like do not steal this IP. And we were going through a patent pending process. So like I was being overly crazy and neurotic yeah. about it. But I think like in the earlier years, focused on microwave popcorn. And then ultimately, you know, after I kind of became kind of entrenched in this, you know, our farm to bag transparency policy and, you know, taking a trip out to Dave Vetter's farm and, you know, meeting his family and what they're about. I was like, this is so much bigger than popcorn. I mean, the brand Quinn stands for so much more. So then we ultimately went into pretzels, right? The first whole grain gluten-free pretzel on the market. And then, then we expanded into the peanut butter nugget category, but no, in the beginning, it was really about Quinn, but I think that changed literally in like two, maybe a year and a half, two years of, okay, what, what is this about? Like, what am I trying to do in food and in ag and how are we going to grow this brand? Well, I think it's amazing. The platform now that you've created and with such 
a really strong commitment and passion. So Thanks. again, I can't, you know, it, it takes a, I mean, you know, this, it takes a lot of passion Absolutely. <laughs> to keep going in this industry. So as you think about the last almost 11 years, what are some of those lessons that you think we've learned so many of them, but what are some that come to mind? Yeah. I mean, I truly have made every mistake in the book. I think one thing that really comes to mind is, is being overly prepared and knowing your category and the data and the size. And I remember this, like, I swear it was five years in to the business and I was talking to a broker that will remain nameless, but they were trying to sell me on their services. And he sent me this report and I was like, Oh my gosh, like you actually have this data. I mean, you have the breakout of salty snacks in this major retailer by subcategory and dollars, and you have it by, this is a, you know, national retailer. So it was by like East, West, you know, everything. And I could not believe like that existed and it changed our entire strategy of how we were going to sell our product and where, and, and, and like essentially it changed the whole game for us. I mean, it was mind blowing crazy. So I think that me not knowing anything in the beginning, I didn't know what existed. I didn't really know the right questions to ask, but the data, you have to have the data. I mean, you can make so many horrible mistakes without really understanding the data. And then ultimately time management is another thing. Um, I think in the beginning, I really didn't want to relinquish anything. I'm such a type A control freak. And I felt like I, I didn't want to give anyone some of the roles that I felt like I had to kind of give up. I was a horrible delegator. And I think that really saved me. I think after Cole, the third little guy came, I was like, I can't do all of this anymore. I'm, I'm pretty much dying. And so I started to, to learn how to delegate and then you're hiring, you know, the right people, but it, it takes time to kind of let it go. Cause it's such, I mean, it's your baby, right? I mean, you, you think you're the only one who can do it that right way or talk to the customer, you know, with that right voice and tell the story the right way. But ultimately you can't, you really can't grow it if you hold on to everything. So I think, you know, learn to delegate the right things. Right. And then over time you kind of establish a trust between that person. So you completely trust them to do a good job, but it, it takes some time, but those are the, the, I think the two pieces is learn to delegate and then really understand your category and the data piece of it. So as you think about some of those lessons, how, have you changed, do you think, over the last 11 years? And, you know, there's clearly so many ups and downs in the business. I feel like as your friend that you have changed a lot in being more balanced than maybe more several years ago, say when we first moved to Boulder. But how would you say you've changed? Yeah, I I have changed like 100%, I think. Um, it's, it's so funny because in the, and I th- may, maybe you felt this way, but going into it, going into this industry and working with manufacturers and literally not knowing anything, I felt like I had to put on a different face of like who I wasn't, which was a real struggle because I would be kind of this like, you know, dominant kind of not crazy person, but, you know, so, so involved in the business when Nash and Quinn were really little and we slaved over it. I mean, it's like 24 seven on the weekends. Like you're just, you're not, you're, you just don't stop. And there was no balance. And I think I it got to a point 
in 2016 or 17, I think it was 17, I learned that I needed to make like a fundamental like switch of like how we were operating. And I kind of started on this crazy, like spiritual, you know, self-help book train where all I did was read and I, we should share a list because I know. Yes, absolutely. All I did was read, read, read. And then in 2018, 19, I became like obsessed with listening to podcasts and just, you know, Tim Ferriss and Oprah and like all these different entrepreneurs on there and, and even some just, you know, running major businesses. And I kind of became obsessed with like personal growth. Like I was trying to grow the business, but you can't grow the business if you are not growing. And so I think that's such an important point. It's so important. And I've, we would not have grown Quinn two years ago, if I wasn't able to kind of like look inward and understand like, what am I failing at? Where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? And I'm just kind of flatlining at this point. (laughs) So I'm not exercising. I'm like eating like shit. Like we're, it's just mayhem at this point. And all three little boys are, you know, under what, seven or under five. I can't remember, depending on what year. I'm not surviving. And so um, I think that there's a pivot of like, I need to switch my mindset and I need to grow because if I'm not growing, this business isn't growing and everything's going to fail. Like my marriage, my family, everything. And so I I really kind of took a different approach. And then in 2019, I, I really leaned in and I, I wrote an article, I think when, no, it wasn't 2019, when COVID started, when I had some time, um, when I got some time back, um, I wrote an article about, you know, the power of surrendering. And in 2019, we went through a really challenging time. We were coming out of 2018, which was really hard for us. And then we launched the nuggets. And again, I go back to like my previous comment of the nuggets saved the business. It really did save the business. And that was one of those moments of, you know, surrendering, like whatever happens is going to happen. I cannot control every single thing around my destiny, around this business. I have to let go. And it's funny when you let go, things start happening. And there's this quote in a book and I can't remember where it is, but I'm sure I can find it. It's, you know, what you resist persists. And it is so true. Yeah. If you think about anything that you've resisted in your life, it's always there. Like you can never get rid of it. And so that was a big thing for me is just letting go and growing personally. And I, I really, I'm a different person. I'm a completely different person from when I think I first met you <laughs> or when I uh, called you. hundred percent. you the first time. I actually was, when you, right before this, I was trying to think of when we first met or how we first I met. I remember because I called you in my very hot Arlington mass attic. And I feel like I saw you in a article or something. It was maybe the daily. I can't remember what it was, but I remember calling you out of the blue and you answered and you were like packing up boxes and we talked for a little bit and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's so cool. (laughs) And then I met you at, I want to say Expo East. Um, cause I have a picture of culture took a picture of me going up to your booth and your mom was there. And then, oh, that's so fun. I want to see the picture. Oh, it's so cute. It really is so sweet. I'll send it to you. You had flowers. It was so nice. And, um, <laughs> and then, but it was like definitely a table. It's amazing. Like how you've evolved over time. You can like, you can understand your growth when you just look at expo booths because like totally. It, it totally evolves. Um, I'll send you that picture, but I think that's kind of how we met. And then, you know, we both moved to 
Boulder in 2013, right? Or 2014, 13, 14. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause Nash was born in 13 and I dragged him here when he was like three months old. That was not smart, (laughs) but um, you're right. It was 2014. Do you have one of your favorite books that really like helped guide you on that path when you were starting your spiritual journey? I think one of the earlier ones was, well, gosh, there's so many, but the surrender experiment, honestly, was kind of game-changing. That's the name of it. Yep. The surrender experiment. And then my sister-in-law gave me conversations with God, which is really interesting. And it's, it's not, I mean, you don't have to be religious to read this book. The title suggests that, but you don't. That one was really crazy. I mean, it was, it's one of those books where she gave it to me, I, I swear, like four years ago and I never read it. And then you like pick it up. And I think the intro was like, you're reading it now because this is the time that you're supposed to read it. And it oh, totally wow. was like, I wasn't ready for it like four years ago. But the surrender experiment, conversations with God, like one, two, three, I think I have, I don't think I've read four or five yet. And then, oh my, there's so many books. I have, I can't even remember. Maybe we should do a a blog post with all of your books. (laughs) We totally should. As a supplement to this. Absolutely. And it was going back between business and spiritual books. So I would read like one week, I'd read a business book. The next week I'd read a spiritual book. The book of joy uh, with the Dalai Lama was incredible. And I, I listened to that on, on tape and I really wish I hadn't because there were so many like good moments that I wanted to highlight that I couldn't. That one was really beautiful. There's so many, but we should, I should provide a list because that would be great. They're like mind blowing, change your life books. And then, you know, again, the podcast, I go back to podcasts because I've fold so much laundry and Oprah's podcast. She has amazing guests on her, on her podcast. It's incredible. So I've learned a lot over time with just these like very poignant quotes of, I can get you all those too. There's some really okay. good ones there. That'd be great. Okay. And I want to hear yours too. I mean, what are some of your books? <sighs> so... Yeah, I I would say like Gabby Birdstein comes to mind first. And I just did at the beginning of this year, just did her manifestation challenge, which we always talk about her. Totally. Uh, So she's definitely one of my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts is Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. Do you listen to that? Oh, I just started actually last year. Someone introduced me to it. That's a good one. That's That's a a great one. one. Yeah. Those are my go-to. I need to actually start listening to that again. It's funny, you go into like stages where you have time and you're able to listen to podcasts and you have time to read. And right now, like, I don't have time to do any of that, which is such a bummer. Which is a one good thing about getting back to traveling. I feel like that was always yes. the time of either driving to the airport or being on the plane to be able to listen or read. Oh my gosh, absolutely. That would be my most favorite. You can like go on a plane, work for a little bit and then shut it off and then read. You're like, oh, <laughs> but you're growing, right? You're right. growing as an individual right. for you. Absolutely. Um, but in that kind of transpires to you're growing and helping your business because you're growing. So, but yeah, I need to actually, I, I forget about Gabby. I need to, I need to read that. So how would you describe now that you have really changed so much, how would you describe kind of your wellness philosophy today? And what do you do? What are some of those maybe non-negotiables or rituals that you're like, I have such a crazy hectic life, but like, I have to do these certain things in my day to, to feel good or feel better. Yeah. So I, I went through a stage where 
I was getting up at like 5.30 in the morning and going to the YMCA to work out, which was really, I mean, with three little kids and I don't really, I couldn't do that. It was not sustainable, but I realized like for your mental health, for my mental health, like I have to do something active pretty much like at minimum three or four times a week, or I'm, I go crazy. Yeah. Um, And it totally shows. I mean, yesterday was one of those times where I hadn't been able to work out for like seven days. The Peloton saved my life. (laughs) So this is going to become a Peloton ad. Um, (laughs) But I swear, I, I think I bought that in 2019. It was like a really big purchase. Cause like we, we do not spend money on that stuff. And, um, it totally changed my life, like in like a crazy way. Because you, you find you can do it anytime, 10 minutes, five minutes. If you do like, you know, chunks, you can do it really late at night, early in the morning. Like it really is such a game changer. Um, And so that one was a big one for me and using it for, you know, not just riding, but like yoga, meditation. It's funny. I mean, when I can't sleep at night, I'll listen to, you know, put the meditation side on. I do too. Totally. Five in a row. And then you're just like, you keep pressing. (laughs) It's clearly not helping me sleep, but sometimes it does. But the meditation app, right, is incredible. I mean, it's it's such a game changer. It really is amazing what they've done. That's been really helpful. And then, you know, finding time. I try not to overschedule. I mean, I was going, I'd say yes to everything some years. And then I think again in 2019, it was like the year of no. Like I yeah. said no to everything. I don't think I did anything. And then in 2020, I think it was like my year of yes again, but then, you know, it said no for me <laughs> because I can do anything. Um, so I think just, you know, prioritizing and finding time of like, nope, I don't, I just don't do anything. I need to see my family. I need to see my husband and I need to find time to like walk the dog and spend time with like those most important people, which I really didn't in the early days. I said yes to everything and you would, you would have no time left over because you're so, you give it away and you have exhausted everything in you. So you can't show up for anyone else. You can't show up for like the ones that are the most important, right? So that's something that I do is just say no to a lot of things and work out. And then of course, you know, coming to dinner at your house is my vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I need to find some some more t- some more things to kind of my my rituals, if you will. Like reading at night is definitely a ritual. I try and read every night, but then I fall asleep after like five minutes because I'm so tired. Um, but what are your like? What are some of your rituals? Because I feel like you're so you're so good at this. For me, morning is definitely like my time. That you know, as you talk about the Peloton, I'm a big Peloton fan, and and to the point of. Sure, I would love to do a 45 minute workout, but I feel like even if it's just 10 minutes, like yesterday, I didn't have the time. And so just moving my body for 10 minutes totally changed my mindset and set me up for the day. Like I know I have to set myself up for the day in that way. Mm-hmm. So I go and I work out, and then I typically will do the five minute journal. So writing mm-hmm. down, you know, what you're grateful for, what you're hoping to the best thing to happen in the day, what you've learned, and an affirmation. And I do, do you do have- that every day? I have it next to my bedside table. I've had it for, I think you actually originally told me about it like for four or five years now. And it's so sad because I'm so bad at it. Like I'll, I'll do it some days and then I'll look back and be like, oh, I haven't written in that in like five months, but I try and think about it in the morning. But do you do that every day? Cause I'm, that's such a huge accomplishment. I definitely that. don't do it every day. <laughs> okay. So it is definitely progress, not perfection. Like I, 
I have it in my workout room. So I try mm-hmm. to like finish the workout and try to force myself to like stretch. And then I lay there and do that. And I will read the daily stoic, which is a really interesting, like one it's every single day. And it is kind of advice of something to think about and meditate on for that day. Oh my gosh. I love that. I need, I need that. Can you add that to the list of, yes, we'll add that to the book list. (laughs) Okay. That's a really good one. And that's Um, kind of my, you know, morning routine and now taking out Charlie, my dog. Oh, that's really sweet. So what time I'm always curious, what time do you get up in the morning? I get, well, I always was an early riser, but now having Charlie, I'm even Mm -hmm. earlier. So probably like five 30, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then I do go on my email when I first get up, which I know so many people say that's terrible to do. But for me, it's kind of my way to also, I think, relax knowing like there's no fires that need to be put out. And so just kind of checking a couple things mm-hmm. and then I'll start my workout around like six, six thirty. That's nice. Cause then you're not like wondering what has happened right. overnight. Exactly. And you can clear your head. So you're, you're set up for success when you're just working out and you're not thinking about, "Mm, did this person write back or anything? Yeah. I know I need to start getting up that early. I'm not an early person. (laughs) I can't. And I also have been going to bed so early, so I have no excuse. Actually. It's horrible. I'm like a baby. (laughs) What time are you going to bed? So early. Um, the last couple of weeks I've been in bed, like I'll throw the kids in bed, like after stories and then I'll get in bed. I'll be like, mommy needs to get into bed. Like eight thirty or nine. Oh, me too. Yeah. Okay, good. But then I read, so then I feel like I'm up until like ten or eleven. But I used to. I mean, this is another thing that I've really changed. I used to work every single night, so I would come home at like six or seven, and then spend some time with the boys, do bed, bath, and when they were little, 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 and then I go online and work from like you know nine until twelve or one or two in the morning, and like that. That really is crazy. Your head. Yeah. But I did that for years, like years and years. And uh, clearly, I mean, there's some, some weeks where you just, you have, have to work to. at night, right. which is totally fine. Like I, I do here and there. I mean, this week was one of those, but, but usually I try really hard to like, if I have to just do one or two emails, I'll do it, but not spending like four or five hours doing that because it just, it's so it's just around the clock at that point. And you can't, you can't actually think clearly yeah. um, when you do that, but yeah, the, the nine, 9 PM routine has been really great. Absolutely. <laughs> but I clearly need to get up earlier <laughs> or, or maybe not. Sounds like your body yeah. might need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's recovering after all the years of like not sleeping with the kids. <laughs> so we're going to switch gears to some rapid fire Q and a. Okay. Favorite Quinn product. I really love our movie theater better. That's my favorite. The best advice you've received that's helped your business. Oh my gosh. That's a good one. Um, I think it's the, the, really the delegating, honestly, that I cannot control all aspects and cannot do everything. It's, it's to learn how to delegate and let go and let go. Yes. Surrender 100%. Favorite wellness hack. Oh gosh. Um, I'm really into medical medium. Um, so this isn't a hack. This is more of like very time consuming, but the celery juice like really works. So do you do that Um, every day? I, the last like four months I've been really bad at it, but I used to do it every day. Um, I kind of invested in a juicer and planned ahead. So did like two days worth of celery juice, but it just, it makes you feel good. You're doing something really good for your body. 
and I love celery juice. I, I'm, I know some people really don't like it, but I absolutely love it. Um, so the celery juice and then the, the warm water with lemon every morning is my, my go-to. And I've been doing that for years. I um, love that. I always forget to do it, but then when I do it, you just feel so good from that water and lemon. You do, you feel so good. And then it sets you up for success the rest of the day. Like you're, you're, it's like the purity of water and lemon. You don't want to mess with that somehow. Yeah. That's my hack. I don't know if that's a hack, but yeah. Three random things that you're currently loving. I, oh gosh, um, the Tron soundtrack from 2010. This is so random. So we, the kids and I randomly found, we got the Disney plus um, over COVID and we watched Tron that was done in 2010, which is like by far the best movie ever. If you guys haven't seen it and I'm a big soundtrack person. So I am very strange in that, but, uh, yeah, the Tron soundtrack is kind of my go-to right now. Um, and Artemis Fowl's soundtrack too. So, so two other favorite things. I've been listening to Hamilton and it's really strange. Actually, I can't really listen to wordy music when I'm in Excel sheets. Um, I'll put on like classical music, but I can hear them rap and it won't affect my ability to focus, which is very odd, but that's like the the one thing that I can do right now, which is strange. I usually can't. So I've been doing that, which is nice. I don't know. Those are three random things that are all pertaining to music. I don't have any shows right now, unfortunately. All right. What is something that brings you joy? The morning with my kids as much as like it's total mayhem and everyone's fighting and yelling, but I love when they're sitting down at the kitchen table eating cereal, granola. It's still loud and crazy, but I love that moment. It's a really special moment that brings me joy. What do you want more of in your life? time, right? Isn't that like the, it's so it's right now is time. I feel like I don't have enough time, time to spend outdoors, just walking, walking in woods is kind of my, my special thing. And I don't have any time to do that. What do you want less of? Looking at email. (laughs) Fair enough. Electronics. I can't stand the electronic game right now. I wish we could just turn it off for a little bit. It's messing with everyone's minds. Just too much information all at once, all the time, really, really messes with you, with your, me personally. Are your boys on electronics um, yet? They, no, Quinn is because of school. And so now he, you know, kind of logs into his computer and I'm like, what are you logging into? It's like Saturday morning at eight. I mean, you clearly don't have school right now. So I've been take, hiding that a lot, taking it away. They're allowed to play you know, some games, but then we have rules on games, but no, I try and limit their exposure to it. I just feel like there's so much exposure on my end that I know what it does to your mood and your personality and how it affects your behaviors. And I'm trying to limit that. My husband, I think would say I'm limiting it too much. Like they're not going to know how to use a computer when they enter the world. (laughs) They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. (laughs) A meal that you'll never forget. Oh my goodness. Um, Chicken curry, actually. I was, I think in seventh grade, 13, and I was helping cater a party in my hometown, cater by like, you know, serving and cleaning and like washing dishes. Um, but at the end, they let you go into the dining room and, and eat. And it was the first time I had chicken 
real chicken curry with raisins in it. I swear it like was a game changer for me. I was like, oh my gosh, food yeah. can taste this good. I didn't know it. Um, so that was that was my my meal that I would will never forget. Sounds delicious. Leftover chicken curry with raisins <laughs> that everyone like put their spoons into. <laughs> Your favorite Quinn moment. I think my favorite Quinn moment was when we were at our pretzel co-manufacturer trying to pretty much like reinvent pretzels. And it wasn't the nuggets at this time. It was, could we make a whole grain gluten-free pretzel um, the way I wanted to make it? And when it ran, it was amazing because, you know, you're, you're just, you have this idea and this vision and you don't know if anyone can execute on it. You don't know if you can execute on it. And then when it happens and it's running for eight hours with no hiccups, like it's such a, an amazing moment that that's a big one. There's so many, that was one. And it must've been that moment of like, this is really going to take things to the next level. Totally. Yeah. Like this, this can happen. I mean, and even with the nuggets, I mean, that one was a beast and no one has been able to knock on wood to achieve that, <laughs> the gluten-free aspect. But when we filled that and the, when they, the, they were running and coming off the line, hot and closed and sealed, um, that was a really exciting time for everyone on that line. Um, we were all working so hard to get that done. You must've like wanted to cry. I feel I like it's like I such we, a happy moment. Such a happy moment. I think I I think we I did. And then we had some um we had some whiskey later on. That was really fun. <laughs> Forgot to celebrate. About you like whiskey. I know. <laughs> totally. It's a problem. What's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Oh, I mean, this goes back to like the Peloton ad. Like, I think it should be in every household. I think it should be affordable to every single human being because for mental health, that is so critical. Uh, so, you know, just having the ability, I really should be working out like 20 to 30 minutes a day. And it's, again, going back to your point, it could be stretching for 10 minutes. It could be, you know, something to get your body moving, but that is 100% non-negotiable. And if I, if I actually, it's my, my whole, you know, thing, de devil and angel, like, no, I don't need to do it now. I can do it tomorrow. It's like my, no one's going to, no one is going to force me not to do that, but myself. Um, that is something that I, I really need every day. I agree. Totally. So in closing, what is next for Quinn? What, what can we expect to see or do? What, what do you have going on? Well, we are launching a new product. Um, hopefully fingers crossed, knock on wood in a couple of months. Um, that's something that we have been working on for two years. So that is a big thing for us. So I really hope we can, we can make this work. I'm excited to have you on our podcast. So I'll have to like figure out different questions. We'll talk about like our 100% spiritual journeys and, yes. and personal growth. Cause I know you have so much going on there. I would love to hear that. And then of course your story, like I know so much of it, but um, leaning into the podcast and then really focused on our be better, do better initiative is a big thing for me. We've been in the weeds and a couple of other big projects that we hope to finalize soon. And I can go back in to that because that's really what I love doing and in establishing growing and in, in uh, relationships with our partners um, to change the ag industry. So that's what we're focused on. That's so exciting. Well, I'm, I'm so excited for the new product to come out and also everything that you're doing with be better, do better. And just so much fun to have you on today, Christy, and can't wait to see you over at my house soon. 
I know. Thanks, Elizabeth. This was great fun. I feel like we could talk for another 12 hours, but (laughs) thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.